Well, amen. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, let's open those up to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We'll get there in just a few minutes. But um, I wanted to publicly point something out um, that, that's a little bit disturbing as far as I'm concerned. May, maybe not so much to you, but to me. I've noticed that every time I come here, Chris and Lauren are not here. I, I, I don't understand it. I uh, met Chris and then Becky um, in college. And that's been, I don't know, five, ten years ago now. It, it's it's uh, pretty amazing uh, to have the opportunity. Right? Well, is that about, about ten, maybe, maybe eleven, somewhere in there? But uh, great to get to be with you and just to, to step in periodically and see what God is doing here um, as time passes here, and uh, really blessed and honored and thankful to be back with you this morning. Um, I want to start out this way as we get ready to look at John 14 this morning. This may, for those of you that don't know me, this may come as a surprise to you. If you do know me, that's not a surprise at all. But I, uh, I am a lot of things, but patient is not necessarily one of them. I, I, I'm working on that, but I, I do think maybe that's going to be the, the last part of my depravity to go, uh, patience, road rage, you know, th- those type of things. Uh, it's tough. Now, maybe you can relate to this as well, but maybe some of you this summer got on a plane, went on vacation, business trip, something like that, but there's something about flying with the general public that always amazes me. How long it can take people to get off of an airplane. It astonishes me. The plane lands. And I, 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 it's like they had no idea that the plane was going to land. And they're totally unprepared for it and they don't know what to do. One person, I, I, this, this one I, I baffles me. They're asleep and they slept through the landing of the plane. How do you even do that? There's this big crash as the plane hits the ground and they sleep through that. I wish I could do that. Can't do that. The person that is sitting in row five, but their luggage, their carry-on luggage is in row 25. Everyone else is going this way and they're going to have to move this way to go and get their stuff. They had no idea, apparently, that that plane was going to land. And it takes forever. Another example, the grocery store. As I said to the other service, if you ever see me in line at the grocery store, wave and say hi, but don't get in the line behind me. I have this curse of this knack of picking the wrong line at the grocery store, whatever it's going to be. It doesn't matter. There's eight people in this line. There's one person in this line. I picked the short line. No, 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 no. Because that one person that's in line in front of me, every single item they have in their basket is going to have to be price checked. Bubba's going to be running back there to get yet another price. And then it's going to come time for paying for their items and they're going to break out the coin purse. They've been hoarding coins since 1978, and they're going to use those coins to pay their $187.29 grocery bill. What? Oh, I, I just, 
public service announcement. Folks, please use your, your debit card, your credit card. Use a card at the grocery store. I don't have a chapter and verse in the Bible for that, but please. It, it takes too long. I, I'm not terribly patient. But here's my point in, all of, in saying all of that. If you're on a plane, it would be good to anticipate a time in the future that the plane is going to land and you're going to need to get off the plane. So be ready. Ma'am, if you're going to have a shopping cart full of groceries, anticipate that they're going to expect you to pay for that stuff. And so before you get to the line and check out all those groceries, have some idea what you're going to do for the sake of the people standing in line behind you. When something important is going to happen, it's a great idea for us to anticipate that and be ready for it. That's not too much to ask. And yet, for many of us, we live our daily lives and never give a single thought to the most important thing that is going to happen and may be on the verge of happening anytime. We need to be ready Not ready in a sense of, no, ready in a sense of excitement. And this is going to happen and it's going to be good. John chapter 14, verse 1. The occasion is this. Jesus is very soon going to be going to the cross. His disciples are feeling the tension and it's a stressful time for him as well because he knows what's coming and he wants to speak some things to his disciples to prepare them for what's about to happen so that they are ready and so that we are ready. Verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. Now we're going to read six verses eventually, but I have to just tell you, be patient. Because I teach and preach verse by verse. So we've covered a verse, we have to stop right there. But this is really important. Don't let your heart be troubled. Isn't it good to know that Jesus knew, Jesus was well aware of the fact that in our lives, we would have plenty of causes for anxiety. We would have plenty of things that we could be fearful about if we let ourselves. And He says to us in anticipation of that, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Even this week, if you watch the news, if you're even casually aware of what's going on, you might find yourself like me asking the question a lot. What is going on? What what is the deal with our culture? What is the deal with our country? What is the deal with our world? And there's a part of us that just wonders... Is this even sustainable? How much longer can this go on? How can we continue to walk down the path that we've started down? And the truth is, we can't and we won't. Because all of this is going somewhere. But as we look at those things and as we face those things, whether they're on a world level, national level, or even on a personal level, all of our fears, all our anxieties 
Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's going to be plenty of reasons for them to be. But how you handle your fears, your anxieties, your issues, all of that is determined by what or who you're placing your trust. And so that's our confidence as we look to Him this morning. Our fears, our anxieties. And Jesus is going to give us some really comforting words. Something to be excited about. Something to anticipate. And in the light of this, everything else isn't such a big deal. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now clearly, Jesus is talking about He's going soon, going to heaven to prepare a place for them, to prepare a place for us. Now we have to go back a little bit there because some of the older translations would say, in my Father's house are many mansions. Not a terrible translation or anything like that, but a better translation would be to say, in my Father's house are many rooms. And I'll explain what that's talking about here in just a minute, and why that's going to be important. But Jesus says, I'm going to prepare this place for you. I'm getting it ready for you. So that can lead to a little bit of confusion in this. You could ask the question, so does that mean that heaven's not quite ready for us, and maybe that's what we're waiting on as they're, they're getting everything ready and moving the furniture and doing all of that? No. No, heaven's been heaven for a long time before there ever was us and and God knew that we were going to spend eternity there so it's ready it's ready to go Jesus is referring something here that the disciples would have understood but it's foreign to us and it has to do with how they did weddings and how that whole courtship thing and weddings happened in first century Jewish culture we have our own ways of doing things, and there's some reasons behind that. There, there's some traditions that go with that. But, but they did it a little bit differently. And that's what he's referring to here. Why is he saying that I'm going to prepare a place for you? It's not that we have to get it ready. But look what he says in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I'm going, I'm going to prepare this place for you, and then I'm going to come get you, and I'm going to take you there. Well, that's pretty exciting. But especially when we start to consider what he's talking about there, because it's strange words to us, but the disciples would understand, that's a wedding analogy. Well, here's how it would work. And this is going to, in our culture, this is going to be so strange, but here it is. If you're a young man, you don't go on the internet, you you don't go looking for a bride, your father goes and selects one, picks one for you. Now, some of you would be absolutely Maybe some of you non-parents would be absolutely horrified at the idea of an arranged marriage. 
But I have to say to you, as a parent, you might see it a little bit differently. But I would say this to you. First of all, they did arrange marriages for centuries. And if you look at marriage in our culture versus arranged marriages, you might be able to make a good case for arranged marriages because we're not getting it right. But secondly, and I have to say this to students, are you so sure that your parents couldn't do better for you than you could do for yourself? Maybe so. Anyway, that's how they did it at this time. Maybe the father has a conversation with the son. Maybe it's just something that they know. But the father would go and find a bride for his son. We don't do it that way, but that's how they did it. And it has its merits. But here's how it would work. The father would maybe go to another town. Maybe there would be family members somewhere else. But he would go and he would look and he would search for the right bride, the right woman for his son. And when he felt like he found her, they would talk, the families would talk. And when they, when they got down to it, there would be a price that they would agree upon. The father was literally purchasing, paying a price for the bride for his son. Keep in mind, his son and this guy's daughter have probably never met. And if they have, maybe it was when they were little kids. They're not involved in the process. The parents are making this arrangement. It's amazing to think about. But here's what would happen. The father pays the price to the family of the young woman. And it's a done deal. Handshake agreement. Whatever they would do. And at that moment, the man's son and the other man's daughter were betrothed. We use the word engaged, but they use the word betrothed. That's a better description of what it was because it wasn't just... There, there was a commitment there signed on the dotted line and it took a divorce to break that agreement. It wasn't just an engagement that you walked away from. It was, it was a done deal. And by the way, this is important because when the angel came and spoke to Mary, the Virgin Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. You will, be con- you will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And so you can imagine in Joseph's mind finding out that Mary is pregnant and they are not officially married yet. It would take an angelic visitation for Joseph to see, no, everything's okay. Mary hasn't sinned. Mary hasn't done anything wrong. This is God's plan. That would take a lot of reassurance. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. That's what this were betrothed. That's what this arrangement is. And so when the the deal was done, the father pays for the bride for his son. The father goes back home and says, "Son, I got her for you. You're going to love her. She's great." What happens then? Well, there's no letters. There's no texting. 
There's no checking out their profile. None of that. And now there's going to be a period of waiting. Not doing nothing, but waiting because what happens is the father has his home. He has his estate. The son doesn't go and rent an apartment somewhere or build a house somewhere else. The son begins building on an addition, a room to the father's house. Knowing that one day he will inherit the whole estate from the father when the father dies, but they don't go off on their own somewhere. They add on to the father's estate. So the son is going to build and prepare a home for he and his bride to live in, whom he still probably hasn't met yet. Meanwhile, the bride is back at home. And you know what she's doing? She's waiting. And she's waiting some more. And she's waiting some more because she has no idea when her husband, her groom, is going to come for her. All she knows is he's coming and she needs to be ready. Don't want to be flirting with some other guy when he comes. That would be embarrassing. Don't want to be not dressed for the occasion. That would be embarrassing. So she knows that she needs to be ready, even though she doesn't know when he's coming. And the truth is, the son doesn't really know when he's going to go and get her either. Because he's got to build the place, but even when he thinks it's complete, even when he thinks it's ready, he still has to get the approval from the father to say, it's ready, go and get your bride. The father might say, nope, that you, you cut corners here, you did it on the cheap, you need to fix it, you need to make it ready, you need to make it right. I go to prepare a place for you. The disciples would have understand what he's talking about there. So the groom prepares the place for the bride. That's going to be where they're going to live. And when it's completed, and when the father says, yes, you're ready, out of the blue, the groom shows up for the bride. And ideally, hopefully, she's ready. She's, know, she's known it's coming. She's put on her wedding dress and she's ready to go. And he comes for her. And she's excited and she's thrilled because he's not coming for all the other girls. He's coming for her. He's not coming for her sister. He's coming for her. And it's an exciting moment. And so the groom goes and gets his bride and they meet, maybe for the first time. That's a big step. But then get this. They return to the home that he's made, that he's prepared for her. It's a big celebration. And for the first seven days, the bride and the groom go into their home and spend the first seven days together alone playing cards, playing checkers. Literally, not to be crude, but literally, food passed under the door, bedpans passed out. First seven days, that, that's what they would do to consummate that union. And then, you might be thinking, well, what about the bride's family? What, what, what about all of her friends? No, no, no. Then, after the seven days, after the celebration at the groom's home, then they go back to the city, back to the town where the bride is from, and then they throw a big celebration there. 
And when we're talking Jewish wedding in the first century, it's not something that you go for the afternoon. This is a days-long affair. It's a big deal. It's a big celebration. And isn't it interesting that the very first miracle that Jesus ever performs, He turns wine, water into wine at somebody's wedding. It's almost like there's some symbolism going on there. It's almost like there's a picture that He wanted us to see there by doing that. And the disciples would understand this picture. I go and I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to be where I am. The groom didn't know when it was all going to finally happen. And the bride certainly didn't know when. All she knew was that she needed to be ready. And so now we look at verse 4. After He tells the disciples that, then He makes this mysterious statement to them, and you know the way to where I'm going. We do? Thomas articulates that. He said in verse 5, Thomas said to Him, Lord, we don't know where You're going. How can we know the way? You can tell they, they still aren't really tracking with what Jesus is saying here. But there were so many things that Jesus said that they didn't understand at the time, but it made sense later. A theme for our lives as well. Lord, we don't know where You're going, so how do we know the way? And Jesus responds in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Thomas, listen. You guys, listen. You do know the way. You do know how to get there. It's Me. I, I, I am the way. Some things we need to understand. Three things we need to understand this morning as we consider all of that. First, Jesus is coming for us. And that ought to be our response. But honestly, for some of us, when you hear that, somebody say that Jesus is coming for us, it might be your response is, hmm, yee, that's scary. I don't, know, I don't know what to think about that. I'm not so sure that I'm ready for that. Well, this morning, this isn't about... Shame on you for what you're doing. Oh, you better not be doing that when Jesus comes back. I mean, right, especially if you've grown up with a lot of these truths. Haven't you ever had that feeling? I know I certainly have. Of You hear about Jesus coming back and you think to yourself, man, I hope I'm not doing something stupid when He does. That would be really embarrassing. It, it does make us alert. It does make, a, make us just aware of the fact we need to live ready for this, but this is not about make sure that you're not doing something stupid when He comes back. This is about, folks, we need to live in joy and excitement because Jesus is coming for us. Are you ready for that? Are you excited about that? Have you given a thought to that and how you lived your life this past week, this next week? 
I know that Chris has been talking with you about finances and financial issues and what the Bible has to say about that. Living in anticipation of Jesus' return absolutely will, will affect how you spend your time, how you spend your treasure, and how you spend your talent. And it's not a legalistic thing of you better not do this, you better not do that. But if knowing that this is going to happen, knowing that we need to be ready, it does affect how you spend those things. How you invest your life and what you're investing your life in. Jesus is coming for us. But whenever we have that conversation, whenever we talk about that, Jesus coming to take us to be with Him, we also have to say this, because there are a lot of kooky ideas that are out there. Matthew 24, 36, Jesus talks about this in another place, and He makes this point very clear. No one knows when. We don't know when. The TV preachers don't know when. And just, just to refresh your memory, I don't even remember when it was now. But it was a big deal at the time. You remember all the Mayan calendar stuff and this calendar was coming to an end and that just meant doomsday and the end of the world and all of that. And boy, how does that correspond to the Bible? Well, it doesn't. It didn't happen. Remember that? I mean, a few years later, it was all the stuff with the blood moons and this means this and maybe this is the fulfillment of prophecy and all of that. Stop. Just, just stop. No one knows when. We know that it's coming. Maybe somebody is eventually going to get it right, but not because they knew anything. It was just because they made a lucky guess. We don't know when. But the point, and all of the parables, all of the teaching in the Gospels that Jesus gives us about the second coming and about the end times and about His return and all of that, it's not so that we can sit around and speculate and does this mean this and who's the Antichrist and all of that kind of thing. It is so that we can prepare our hearts and be ready. The point of all of those things is that we live our lives ready. And the way that you're living today, the, the progression, the trajectory of your life today, are you living in anticipation of His coming or are you going to be that person on the airplane when the plane lands, it's like you had no idea? Because I don't know about you, but what I don't want to be doing is know these truths and have, having been raised in these truths and read these truths, and then when Jesus comes back, it was like I had no idea. That my priorities were wrong, that, that my passions, that, that what I was giving my time and energy and talent and treasure to, all of those things were misplaced, and that we would not have to go back and say, oh, if I'd known Jesus was coming back, I would have lived my life a little bit differently. Folks, we know He's coming back. It's going to happen. And nobody knows when. But we have reasons to believe it soon. Look at the world around you. Is this sustainable? Now, as soon as I say that, I believe it soon. Maybe you believe it soon. We have to balance that with every other generation of Christians before us believe the same thing. You might live your whole life and die. Same result. On to glory. But what we don't want to do 
is live our lives like this isn't a reality, like it couldn't happen at any moment, and then be caught off guard, be surprised. We need to be ready. So how, how, how do we live ready? What, what does that look like? What, what are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus made that really clear because when Thomas asked the question, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is a really important thing for us to understand. Most of you will understand this, but maybe somebody, maybe, maybe you haven't heard this before. Maybe you haven't understood this. The Bible makes something very clear, and Jesus makes something very clear here. Our culture doesn't like this, doesn't accept this, but this is what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have any plans for going to heaven, if you have any plans of spending eternity with God, the only way that you're going to get from here to there is through Jesus. Not by being religious, not by being basically a good person, not by giving money, not by not doing certain behaviors, not by observing any religion you want to. It's only through Jesus. And our culture wants us to believe that you get to do whatever you want to, that there is no such thing as absolute truth, which is an absolute statement, by the way. There's no such thing. You know, you do what's right for you, I'll do what's right for me. And it's like God is at the top of the mountain and everybody gets to pick their own path to get to Him. But as long as you're really sincere about what you're doing and you're basically a good person, which, by the way, none of us are, that any way you want to will get you to heaven. That is a lie. The only way that we get to heaven is through Jesus. That's what Scripture says. And if there was going to be another way for us to get to heaven, then God would not have subjected His Son to a horrible, brutal death on the cross for our sins if He was going to say, oh, well, but there's another way over here. And knowing who you and I are is someone so well said. Some people will complain that there's only one way to heaven. That's not fair. That's too narrow. No, if God had made a thousand ways for us to get to heaven, we'd still complain that there's not a thousand and one. Jesus is the only way. And if have you put your trust in Him to get you from here to heaven to pay the penalty for your sin? For some of you, that might be the issue of how you get ready is First of all, putting your trust in Jesus. But for those of us who have done that, for those of us who know that truth, we need to live with excitement. We need to live in anticipation, expecting in any moment it could happen and live like this is real. And for some of you, especially if you've been doing this for a while, let this be an encouragement to your own heart this morning. Because something that really excites me, as I look at my own life, as I look at the church, as I look at other Christians, the bride that the Father presents to the Son, us, will be pure and spotless. That's hard for us to imagine right now 
Because we know the issues in our own lives. We certainly know the issues sometimes in the church. We, we have friends and peers that we want to say to them sometimes, how can you know what the Word of God says and still make the choices that you're doing? The choices that you're making. But the great news is, the bride is going to be pure and spotless. You are going to be pure and spotless. I'm going to be pure and spotless. Revelation 19, it says this, and the bride has made herself ready. Clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. As we think about His return, as we think about His coming, remind yourself of the verse that says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We participate in that process, but that's a work that He's going to do. What's the direction of your life supposed to look like in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back? What's the condition of your heart supposed to be as you anticipate Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to come and He's going to fix this mess. thought a lot about that. For those of you who are younger, you might be thinking, well, I, I, I probably, ought to, probably ought to quit school. I probably ought to just drop out because Jesus could come back tomorrow. I ought to just quit my job. I mean, I don't really like my boss anyway. Cause... No. We do what we're supposed to be doing. We do what He's called us to do, knowing that it's just temporary, knowing that it's preparation all for something else. And it's not about, as people have done, selling all their possessions and going and waiting on a hillside. It's crazy. But it's more crazy to live our lives giving no thought to the most important thing that's going to happen. And as I was thinking about this one day, and I'll finish with this, I think God showed me a picture of what anticipation is supposed to look like, of what excitement about His coming is supposed to look like. I have a three-year-old daughter, and she is amazing. She drives me crazy, mainly because she's a lot like me. I don't know about sons, but I, I'd highly recommend daughters. Good, good, good choice. I'll drop her off in the morning at daycare and come back for her in the afternoon. And very early on, when she was much younger, I noticed something and I began to just let it be a thing and really look forward to it. But there is that moment when I walk to the door, walk up to the door, and she's in the class playing and doing whatever she's doing. And she sees me, and her face will just light up in excitement and anticipation. 
I know it probably won't always be that way, but I'm going to enjoy it while I can. But even now, I still do this. When I get there, I don't walk in the room. I don't let her know that I'm there. I just stand there for a minute because I'm waiting for something. I'm waiting for her to see me. And when she does, her face lights up and she's excited. And Daddy! As many of you know, in that moment, I could have had the worst day anybody ever had on this planet. And in that moment, it's gone. Who cares? All of that stuff doesn't matter anymore. I could have had the best day. And in that moment, all of that stuff doesn't matter anymore. That's the best thing. And she sees me and her face lights up and she says, Daddy! And she comes and runs for me. That's a great moment. Folks, I really believe that in that moment, whatever that looks like when Jesus comes for us, when we live in excitement and anticipation of His return, what's going to resonate in our hearts is when He see in that moment that we realize He's come for us. It's not... It's not fear. It's not, oh, ah, this isn't a good time. In that moment, our response is, Daddy! Because please understand this. Some of you might be saying, well, I'm not, I, I still want to do some living. I still got some things I want to do. I want to get my driver's license. I want to get married. I, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But I promise you this. There is nothing in this life that's not going to be replaced by something better up there. We're not going to look back someday from heaven and say something like, boy, these desserts in heaven are fantastic, but you know the entrees on earth were a little bit better. There's nothing that we're going to look back in this life and long for and regret that we wish that we still had everything up there is better. And there's nothing that we're going to miss out on if Jesus comes today. Spend your time, spend your treasure, spend your talent, prioritize your life, in excited anticipation because Jesus is coming for His bride. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank You. What an exciting thing that we look forward to. May that calibrate our lives to reflect that. May our anticipation and joy over Your imminent return so resonate and, and just be so evident in our lives that other people would wonder and would even ask us, what is the reason for the hope that we have? I pray that You would bless this church, this congregation, this family with the joy of the anticipation of Your return. 
and that whatever is in our lives that isn't pleasing to you, the idols that we're holding on to, the, the crutches that we might have, that we would forsake those in anticipation of all that you're going to do. God, we love you and we say, come Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.